You're listening to Wild and Holy Radio. Honest conversations, love notes, and strategies to grow a business while building a life grounded in deep integrity. I'm Megan Hale, integrity expert, bringing mindset and energetic wisdom to help you show up braver, go all in, and expand into your fullest expression. Let's do this. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the show. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I am happy for you to be here, too. You are actually our first guest of season two, and I could think of no better person to bring on the show than you. So I'm so excited for our conversation today on a Wild and Holy Radio. So, Kate, you have been a huge supporter of mine in this kind of wild season of raising babies and building a business. I, Kate and I are part of a group for moms who are building businesses at the same time as having young children. And this is like my little sacred place where I go to just vent and ask if I'm crazy because I'm feeling all these strong emotions. And Kate, you are always such a positive force in there and just giving me so much love in a really difficult season. So thank you for that for sure. Oh God, I hope so. I, you know, it's, um, it's like, we're all in it together. I was just actually voxing with somebody from our group this morning and she had asked me for my opinion on something and I gave it. And then I voxed back two minutes later and I was like, but you should know that I also freak out sometimes and wonder if the advice (laughs) I just gave is like the wrong, you know, who knows how any of our kids are going to like, you know, turn out. We're all making it up as we go along. I know. So yeah, I know. it's such a, such a great thing to be able to connect um, when you have motherhood in common. Yeah. And I think the thing that I really appreciate is just being able to just go and be real, you know, because I think that we all feel like heaviness associated with motherhood during really challenging seasons. And there's a lot of pressure I, I feel anyways on moms to just enjoy it all and enjoy every second. And that's just not been my experience. So having a space where I can just go and be like, I'm not enjoying this second right now, you guys. (laughs) And that just feels so refreshing, you know? Oh yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. So when it comes to raising babies and starting a business, running a business, growing a business, I think that both of these endeavors require a lot of courage and you are an expert on courage. You've written a whole book on it called The Courage Habit. So I would love to kind of segue into our conversation today by first asking you, what inspired you to write the book? Hmm. Well, I mean, it had been a lifelong dream for me to write a book with a traditional publisher. You know, if you'd asked me when I was my daughter's age, she just turned five. Yeah. Mm -hmm as of the time that we're recording this, if you had asked me at her age, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would have said, I want to write books. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I just think books are like the best thing in the whole world. I'm, I'm in love with the written word and I'm a writer at heart, you know, Mm -hmm. which is why (laughs) as the internet moves towards like video and, and stuff like that is the predominant vehicle for everything. I'm kind of like, no, I want, I want, I want the words. Why can't we all still just be blogging? Um, so, you know, I, I had always wanted to write a book, but the story behind the courage habit is actually kind of a funny story in the sense that, um, I actually sold a different book proposal to my publisher. So the, the courage habit was initially going to be based on 
um, a digital program that I have have made available on my website for several years called the Courageous Living Program, and it's been a, a wonderfully successful program. Um, and being a digital program, it's very cool to like put it on a back end where, you know, people can do one lesson at a time and get little secret messages each time they complete a lesson and get worksheets and make it a little more interactive. But I had always had a dream, as I mentioned, to actually write a book with a traditional publisher and all that good stuff. So I, I pulled together a book proposal that was based on the Courageous Living program. Mm -hmm. And that book proposal was accepted. And then my first couple chapters were due and I had been doing some research into habit formation. Um, the, the book was slated to be called the courage habit initially because there was this idea of like, Oh, courage habit, like something you want to do every day. You know, it's good to make it a habit. And then I started going, I want to get in even more into like how habit formation works in the brain. And my joke is always, you know, if you haven't spent a Friday evening snuggled up with Google Scholar looking at medical <laughs> abstracts, you're missing out on a riveting good time. Um, <laughs> but, but basically, I started getting into all this research, and I had chapters due to my editor. And the initial chapters, since they had, for the proposal, been pulled from the Courageous Living program, the, you know, and were submitted as samples with my proposal, those weren't too hard to come by. And I started writing in this totally different direction, getting into habit formation mm -hmm. and how it works in the brain. And I submitted my, my new chapters that were all rooted in this idea that actually behavioral habits have a habit basis in the brain. And I said to my, my editor, if you want me to turn in the other stuff, I'm happy to because I can talk courage all day long from different vantage points. But I am kind of obsessed with the fact that actually our fear-based behaviors are habit, habitual behaviors. Mm. It's, it's not who we are. It's not the way we're born. These are fear patterns that we've learned and we've practiced so long they've become habits. Mm. And if you can create a habit, you can break a habit. And there's like actual research behind the psychology of courage and emotional resilience. And I'm, you know, I think this is better. And luckily they agreed. So that's the story of how the courage habit in its current incarnation came to be born, which was just this obsession that I, I had around going, this is really powerful stuff. You know, yeah. it is not you're a perfectionist, you know, oh, it's just how I am, you know, an identity. Right. Oh, I'm a people pleaser. No, these are, these are habits that you have become um, so used to practicing that you have taken them on as an identity and they don't have to be that. Mm, that's so powerful. It's, it's almost like there's a way to start to deep, like depersonalize these identities that you've taken on of saying, this is not necessarily who I am. It's just what I've been practicing for a very long time. You got it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Totally. Yes. You know, we've been really diving into money on season two of the podcast. So one of the things that we're really starting to tease apart is just our, our money beliefs and our money practices and even our transgenerational stories that have been passed down from generation to generation and starting to tease apart these things of like, this is not how it has to be. You get to choose how you want it to be. And I really think that there's something powerful to be said about developing empowering money habits. So I love that you're talking about this. So let's start by kind of teasing apart some of the concepts in the book. You, um, like when we're starting to get into like these four specific behaviors that you lay out, can we start to dive into these and maybe 
we can tailor them to money or something that feels really good for you. Totally. Yeah. Um, and speaking of money, you know, the mm -hmm. forward to the courage habit was written by Barry Tesler, who oh, is the yeah. author of the art of money and yes. like looking at courage and fear and habits with money is definitely a, a specialty of hers. I got to give her a shout out. So yes, I love that. Yeah. So in the courage habit, you write that there are four specific behaviors backed by research that we can start practicing in order to live with more courage. What are some of those behaviors? Well, I'll go through the behaviors and I'll share that to me, before we move to the behaviors, mm -hmm. it's important to look at the fear patterns that are actually getting in people's way. Mm. Um, so the four behaviors that we want to get into, the ones that we want to move towards when we're releasing the old fear-based habits um, are accessing the body, mm. listening without attachment, reframing limiting stories, and reaching out to create community. And none of these are like my invention out of thin air. These are all behaviors that research into behavioral change, what helps boost emotional resilience, things that help to alleviate anxiety. Mm -hmm. These four behaviors are the things that people are practicing when they do clinical trials, case studies, things like that. Even just hearing you say those four out loud, I'm already taking like a deep breath. Like there's just more space here. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about like, how do I become this, you know, narcissistically confident person who just like barrels through life going, sure, I'll jump out of planes or I'll risk my family's fortune to go after my dream. Like that's, that's like such a false, really machismo version of courage. It's not about oh, I just always feel, you know, completely courageous and resilient and all of that. Um, and I like to say that about myself too. I'm not positing any of this work as a guru and you follow the steps. Yeah. It's really more of these, these four component parts are part of a process. So mm -hmm. you go into a fear pattern, whoops, I notice I'm in a fear pattern. So it's not even about like, let me bypass a fear pattern and get straight to the steps or the, the parts or the process. Mm -hmm. It's, oh, I'm in this fear pattern again. Hold on a second. Let me access the body. And that can be like breathing. That can be running. That can be a lot of different things, but just something where you're connected to what the sensations in your body are and, yeah. and allowing them to be not squashing them down mm -hmm. or I can be caught in a fear pattern and I can go, let me reach out and create community. It's not yeah. like in an order or right. I can be caught in a fear pattern and I can go, okay, let me listen without attaching to what the fear is saying. Let me listen to the fact that the fear is saying, you know, you know, money, money is for selfish people. Right. You know, if that's the mentality that's at hand, listen, but don't attach to that as true reframe that limiting story. Actually, money's just money. Yeah. And whether or not I'm selfish with it is a choice. And that's right. a reframe. So there's just like, so yes, so much room with all of these steps. And I practice them regularly in my life when I get stuck in my own fear. You know, I'm, I'm applying these four steps to my life and kind of the framework in which I live. And one of the things that we talk about within Wild and Holy community for sure, but also on the podcast is what it means to really live in integrity. And for me, making a choice that is in deeper integrity will usually always 
point you to being braver or to be, or to practice more courage. Mm -hmm. And these four behaviors specifically are things that I also practice when I'm really tuning into what is the next decision or what is the next thought that is in deeper integrity for me. And you have to have that mind body connection to really feel the difference when something is an integrity and when it's out of integrity. And for me, integrity and bravery are so closely aligned that it doesn't always necessarily feel comfortable, <laughs> but I know what the next right step is, the, ne the next right choice for me in listening to that voice of courage versus the one of fear. Yeah. I love that you brought up integrity. Oh, so, so huge. Um, and I'll say two things about what you just shared. Um, one is the definition of integrity that my coach gave me years ago was Integrity is when your words and actions match, that's one piece, and they are in alignment with your values, beliefs, commitments, and life vision. Mm -hmm. So it's not to be in integrity with myself and make my words and actions match. If I have a dream of traveling the world, I leave my children with a neighbor mm -hmm. and then follow through so that my words and actions match because mm -hmm. your commitment is also has to be aligned with your commitments too. So, you know, you have a commitment to your children and not right. dumping them off on a neighbor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but also what you just described about tuning into your body, there's a term for that and it's called somatic awareness. Yes. And it's a skill set people develop because mm -hmm. when you don't have somatic awareness, you feel a kind of discomfort in your body and shut down in response to it because you're not sure. Is it, I should do that or I shouldn't do that. Is it, oh, this is not a good idea or did I? But when you develop somatic awareness, you learn as a skill the ability to feel something in your body and go, I'm really nervous about how this is, is, is going to turn out, but it's because I'm stretching. Mm -hmm. And you start to feel that little sizzle of excitement that also is, is present when you're actually moving in the direction of a place where you're in integrity and you're aligned and it's yes. scary, but you're also knowing it's right. Yes. And that is an, another piece of, of the whole puzzle too. That's actually one of my favorite feelings in the world <laughs> because it's such a dichotomy because it's, it's scary, right? Mm -hmm. But you also know it's right. And I think that that's when you know, it's like, cool. there's like this beautiful juxtaposition of emotions, but that's when you know that you're stepping out of that comfort zone. And for me, I think that we are here to expand. We're here to consistently be pushing against that comfort to really be who we're here to be. So I think getting kind of warming up to that feeling, making nice with it is a really great tool. Also, if you're here to live a courageous life, which I, I really do believe all of us are. So one thing that I want to get into in this conversation specifically is that you and I, I think we have very similar belief systems in regards to we don't really believe in being fearless or getting rid of fear. And I would love to hear from your perspective, like what do you think we need to be doing with fear instead? Mm. Uh, a total reorientation to fear where we don't pathologize it. And I'm, I'm big on this. It's like this. If the way that you talk to your fear is tell it to shut up, to go away, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I see these things online. I'm going to kick fear's ass. I wrote a letter to my fear and then I burned it. I told my fear to shut up and take a hike. Calling fear a monster, calling fear a gremlin. Your fear is a wounded aspect of who you are. 
Mm. Nobody is coming from a place of fear it, where there is not a wound behind it. And if you respond to your fear by abusing it, you are pr practicing and perpetuating abuse. And that is a really direct way to talk about it because every time I do, I want to like shake people awake because they, they still do this thing where they go, that's right. I'm going to love my fear. I'm gonna da -da. But then they like, they're like, I just had to tell my fear to be quiet. I had to, you know, you know, tell it, I had to silence my fear. No, no. Mm. If you, you know, like your fear is for most people, I think fear gets frozen at right around the age of nine or 10. Mm. I think it's total inner kid stuff. Mm -hmm. um, nine or 10 is when most, most kids are starting to, they're still kid enough that life is very kid-like, but at the same time, they are getting their first awareness that the world is actually a place where they don't have control and where their parents can't always protect them, that no one really has control. Yeah. And so I think a lot of our fear patterns are, come from around that age. And, you know, the, the easy way to tell whether or not you're, you're responding to your fear in a way that's going to help it instead of pathologize it, that's going to heal the wound instead of doing further wounding is, would you treat a nine or 10 year old child this way? Mm. You know, most people do three things with fear. They either try to avoid it or ignore it or they try to please and placate it. So that's kind of like trying to do life right so that fear won't come up, try to have control over everything so that fear won't come up, <laughs> um, or, or, or they attack it. And those three approaches with children, since we're so into the motherhood thing, yeah. <laughs> we could go there, it doesn't work. If you, if you take a child that is tantruming, and children who are tantruming are afraid, they have feelings they don't know how to hold, Mm -hmm. If you take that child and you lock it in a closet to avoid it or ignore it, that's child abuse. Mm -hmm. And if you take a child who is tantruming and instead of helping it through its feelings or trying to find strategies around choices and action, if you just placate that child, oh, here's a lollipop. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. Like you're just putting a Band-Aid on a larger problem and you're not giving that child any tools for resilience or any ability to manage their own emotion. Yeah. And of course, if when a child is afraid, you attack it, tell it to shut up, hit it, you know, things like that, that is also child abuse. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like very simple to me. If you don't want to be an abuser, don't practice abuse, not towards children, not towards yourself. Mm -hmm. And that means a radical questioning of all the ways that you've habitually treated fear in your life and deciding, making a firm decision, I'm not doing that anymore. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sorry, soapboxing here. <laughs> no, I mean, this I... This is a big one for me because I see so many people talk about fear and talk about, like, unconditional love, but it really what they're ultimately talking about is let's practice unconditional love, except for this place over here, the fear, we're going to kick its ass. Yeah. We're going to tell it to shut up and take a hike. That's not unconditional love. That's oh a defiance of the word unconditional. 
I love this so much. Like for everyone who's listening, who's been to a wild and holy weekend, you know that we always have a traditional burning ceremony where we release fear, but we do it in a different way. Instead of like releasing it in anger, we release it with gratitude, right? That this fear has served a purpose for us. It has been walking with us up to this point. It's part of what brought us here, right? And it's not about hating that fear as much as it's expressing the gratitude and setting a loving boundary. And I think that that is such a different approach to how we sit with our fear, because I really do think for most of us, when we're feeling something that is, uh, we're, we're feeling that fear, we're feeling afraid, there's a piece of us that is longing for attention. It's longing to be heard. It doesn't mean that we let it drive the the show, but I really think that there's something powerful that transforms within us when we are courageous enough to go and sit beside our fear, to hold its hand. I, I totally believe in the inner child work, absolutely, of sitting with that part of yourself that is fearful and getting to know it, getting to know what it needs in this moment to feel reassured, to feel safe, because that's our job as you know, fully formed adults is to really be that safe space for ourselves. And part of that is really speaking and giving that safety to our fear so we can move forward, not from a place of um, avoidance or trying to create distance from, but bringing that fear with us and saying, see, it's okay. We got this. I got this. And it has totally transformed the way that I walk through the world. Yeah. And transformed is the operative word. So it's about, you know, this, this part of us that is wounded, allowing it to heal. Because Mm, if we beat it up, then what happens is it's like a wound and then the wound gets a scab and then we just pull the scab off, which is, you know, counter to healing. But if we give space for any wound to heal, it does evolve and it does transform and it's still there on the journey. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my own fear used to like, I mean, literally call me like a pathetic, weak, whiny bitch, you know, Mm -hmm. like just all like massive, unkind beating myself up, you know, type stuff. And I see it as a sign of health that now the way the voice in my head sounds when I'm encountering something that is outside my comfort zone, it's a little more like, I feel really stupid right now. I don't know if I can do that, you know, which is so much more evolved than the armor of, you're a bitch and you shouldn't even bother. It's pathetic. And like just this nasty, angry armor and that nasty, angry armor, it's really hard at the beginning to recognize that that's something that's hurting. It's really hard to feel some aspect of ourselves hitting us (laughs) verbally and then not hit back and say, shut up and go away. But, But that's the work right there. And it's, I mean, if I dare say it's wild and holy work, I think people are so lucky to get to be with you, you know, like that is, that's the work. I mean, I think one of the things that I love just, I mean, just about how you just described this is that through, through the work, like through the courage habit, it's almost like you are giving your fear the tools to evolve and grow up and to be able to communicate in a different way. Um, and I would say almost in a healthier way, instead of it needing to kind of tear you down and be a bully, it can actually tell you very clearly what it is afraid of. And that allows you to be in much uh, more direct dialogue with it. Instead of having to, to sort through the layers of all of the, you know, mean things that it throw, it's throwing at you, you can actually see, see it for what it is a lot quicker and a lot more clearly. And I think that that absolutely changes the way that we're relating to ourselves. And for me personally, 
any dream that we have, any success that we're trying to create for ourselves, it is built on the quality of the relationship that we have within. Yes, absolutely. 100% agreement here. And I, you know, it's, it's really about going, okay, like the, the fear is always going to be there, but how do we let it ride sidecar? Yes. You know, how do we accept that it's there and help where we can? And, and I mean, that is part of, you know, again, this, this mothering metaphor, you know, that's part of how our children grow up is, is like recognizing the times when we need to ride sidecar, you know, mm -hmm. just like my daughter, who's, you know, I mentioned five, you know, she, she's at this age now where if we try to do something for her, mm -hmm. um, she'll grab it out of our hands. I want to do it. And I, <laughs> I love seeing that impulse from her because she knows that we're there if she needs help. And, and, but, but she's just so eager to like evolve and not just go, this is uncertain and I don't know what to do. And mm -hmm. I think we can do that in so many ways. And, uh, you know, if we pull it to a money example, because that's a big piece of what, you know, your people are looking at right, right now, mm -hmm. which is such a great thing. I mean, I think money and how we treat money is so correlated to how powerful we feel in our lives. So, oh my gosh, there's so many correlations between money and worthiness. It's like, it's blowing my mind and it's so fascinating to me too, how nuanced it all is. So yes, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's like, how is it that we are, you know, how do we, we treat money as well? Like, like as this bad thing or this thing that we're afraid of or intimidated by and, and it's all relational. Oh yeah. I know. I love that we're talking about how we relate to money and especially how we can be more intentional with the type of relationship we're creating with it. If you're interested in creating a more empowered relationship with money, I would love to invite you to check out Wild and Holy Money Love, a four-week transformational course to help you drastically shift the way you feel about money. Whether you want to make more or steward what you're making better, it all starts with more money love. I'm bringing the most powerful exercises that go far beyond just money mindset and affirmations. I'm helping money feel the way you want it to feel. Where money shows up for you in abundance and becomes the biggest supporter of your wildest dreams. Join me for four weeks of transformation that won't just help you more deeply love money, but more importantly, help money more deeply love you. This is Wild and Holy Money Love. Find out more at wildandholymoney.com. I'll see you there. Now, back to our episode. I know. And it's, you know, I love the metaphor that you're coming back to with motherhood because I do, like in my own personal work, I have found that I've, I've almost like remothered this fear side of mm -hmm. me. And I think of it as this child that really does need nurturing. And the minute I started approaching it from that perspective, it's almost like there was just such a different softness in the way that I was speaking to it, but also how I was relating to it. And what ended up happening is that fear is still present. It's always going to be present, right? For a long time, <laughs> I thought the goal was to like completely eradicate fear until I realized um, then we would no longer be human. So we actually <laughs> kind of need that. It keeps us humble, but it also keeps us growing. But the other thing that I realized is that, you know, as I have evolved with this, it's like my fear isn't as scary to me, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the most powerful things when you are doing this type of work is that when fear pops up, it's just like, 
okay, cool. Like let's, let's tune in, let's listen to it instead of it being this like really overwhelming, jarring experience. Have you experienced the same? Oh, completely. Um, it's, you know, it's just, it's, um, I, I would say there's a parallel with like, if my daughter throws a tantrum, um, okay. So she, you know, she, she's disappointed because we're not going to let her have candy. She throws a tantrum, you know, things like that. Pretty normal parenting fair. I'm not afraid of the tantrum anymore. Mm. Like I'm really clear that about all the moving parts that are happening in that situation. Like I'm clear that I'm not going to give her candy. I'm clear also, and have even some empathy for her disappointment. Mm -hmm. I'm taking the bigger picture of where she's at in her day because she's definitely more likely to throw a fit if she doesn't get candy when it's closer to bedtime than she is in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm also just like, she can, she can scream and it will be stressful. My ears don't like hearing screaming. I don't know who the parents are who are like, I just don't even hear it anymore. I'm like, Oh, it's not me. I hear it. Like, <laughs> like I haven't ever learned how to totally tune that out. I hear it. And I don't like it, but uh, you know, okay. It is what it is. She's throwing a tantrum. This is what little kids do. And it's like, I don't need to make her bad for what she feels. I don't need to tell her to shut up. I don't certainly don't hit her. Um, and I'm not going to placate her either. And, you know, here it is. This is what's happening. And so that's how I look at it. You know, I'm, I'm actually working on my second book proposal right now because um, I, have a, I have a burn to write a new book. I, finally, the idea came to me. But, and traditional publishing is moves at a glacial pace. So this book will not see the light of day for several more years still, but you know, the same fear-based stuff comes up. It's like, how did I even write a book? Oh, that paragraph's no good. Does it? It's just like, okay, yeah, it's just like all sitting there, you know, it's coming up. Of course it's coming up. I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone again and taking a risk again of writing a book and maybe it won't get published and maybe, you know, all the things and there's, yeah fear and it just it's just part of the ride mm -hmm. but you know the thing that I hear the most out of all of this work and I know everyone listening will really appreciate this when it comes to being or feeling grounded of not getting unsettled as easily I really see there being a, a strong correlation between doing the work that you lay out in the courage habit of really learning to create more powerful habits for yourself of how to relate to your fear. Like this is the thing that allows us to feel steadier as we're going through challenging times for sure, but also when we're doing brave things. Like you writing this new book, <clears throat> the stuff still comes up, right? Because that's part of the process. But you feel more grounded in your ability to sit with that, to listen to it, to experience it and move forward anyway. And I think that that is one of the most powerful pieces of learning how to cultivate more courage in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, well, that's where the resilience comes in, mm -hmm. you know, because it's about, um, you know, that, that, that ability to go, my capacity expands and, you know, I define courage as feeling afraid because no one gets out of that part. Like you can outrun it all you want, but you'd be, like eventually everybody hits a wall if they try to outrun mm -hmm. fear. So feeling afraid, diving in anyway, because mm -hmm. the other option is to simply remain stuck and transforming. And that's always what happens. Even if it's just an inch, 
And, you know, I, we all want the story that we can tell to Oprah where like the moment of clarity hit the aha moment and we're like, Oh my God, and everything was different. But really this is work that is about how do I recognize the fear-based habits that have been controlling me and get really clear about what those are mm -hmm. and then get intentional and take responsibility for my life and, and for practicing integrity mm -hmm. as you beautif beautifully brought up so that I can move into a space of more courage. And it is going to feel uncomfortable at first. It is going to feel like, oh, this is all wrong. Right. And this is the place where you, you got to go, okay, but all my best thinking prior to now has gotten me the, the results that I've gotten. I'm going to need to do something different and stretch into a new space if I want to see different results. Yes. And I think, so this is the piece that I'm really excited to hear your perspective on because when you're moving into that space, you're learning to train yourself to receive a much different reward. <laughs> than yes. the one that fear typically presents you with. So I would love for you to walk us through this cue routine reward process for how fears or fear-based habits are formed in the first place. Okay. Awesome. I will totally do that. Ooh, geeky, geeky. I love it. <laughs> um, okay. So fear or sorry, habits are formed or predominantly controlled, I should say, um, by a part of the brain called the basal ganglia. Mm -hmm. And I like to personify this part of the brain. And if there's a neuroscientist or a brain surgeon or anything listening to this right now, forgive me. I'm, I'm aware that I'm being highly reductive and I do <laughs> not mean to dishonor your work in the world. But um, for, for purposes of simplicity, mm -hmm. um, the basal ganglia, I like to personify as being sort of like the brain's project manager. Mm. All this input and stimuli from the world is coming at the brain at all times. And the basal ganglia is going, have I encountered this before? Oh, I have. What did I do last time? Cool. Let's send out the, the troops to handle it the way we did last time. Or the basal ganglia is going, I haven't encountered this before. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And when the basal ganglia doesn't know what to do, there's stress. It's like, whoa, this is outside my comfort zone, or I don't know what I'm doing, or I feel mm -hmm. really, uh, I'm out of control here. So habits run on a cue, routine, reward loop. And when the basal ganglia gets a cue, like feeling afraid, and can send you out to a routine that has worked in the past, it's a little happier. So mm. for some of us, you know, the, the, the routine that we go into when we're confronted with something that's fearful is perfectionism. Mm -hmm. That's the behavioral response that we have to when we feel afraid. We go into perfectionism overdrive. We try to control. Mm -hmm. For other people, the response to the cue of fear is people-pleasing. That's the safety zone. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go after my big intimidating dream. I need to be an endlessly self-sacrificing mother. Because otherwise I'm selfish. I don't, I don't like all the visibility. I don't like how it feels when all the attention is on me or when I'm prioritizing myself and telling other people no. Mm -hmm. Another routine people go into is pessimism. That's the kind of like, well, you know, be realistic. Well, it's not the right time. The economy. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm too young, too old, you know, whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. And then there's self-sabotage and really all fear is on some level self-sabotage, but it deserves its own category because that's really like you have a big dream and then you go tell the absolute worst person who's going to be like wet blanket. Well, I don't know <laughs> if it's really a good idea for you to do that. 
Yeah. Um, so these are the patterns and we execute them without thinking. So we get this cue of, of fear, we go into a routine and we get to a reward. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's been listening this far might be going, well, what do you mean a reward? I mean, if I'm pessimistic, how's that a reward? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a reward in the sense that that basal ganglia wants to not be stressed. Mm-hmm. So if I want to write a book and I go into pessimism, oh, well, you know, I don't, it probably won't get picked up. It won't, da, da, da. Then long-term, I don't get my goal of writing the book. But in the short term, all the intimidation that I might feel about going after that, that book dies down. Mm-hmm. And the same pattern plays out around money and the same pattern plays out when you're trying to improve your marriage. It's like mm-hmm. some people, when they're afraid around money, try to be perfect about it. Some people, when they're afraid around money, go ask everybody else's opinion. Some mm-hmm. people, when they're afraid about money, go, what am I going to do? The system is rigged. I'll never figure out how to make enough money for myself. And some people around money self-sabotage by making great financial decisions for a week and then blowing what they saved on a big expense. Mm-hmm. All of that is about getting people in the short term back to a place where it's comfortable and it's familiar. Mm-hmm. And until you recognize that cycle and go, I got to interrupt it and instead make a different choice it will play out over and over again. Oh, that is so good. It is so, so good. And I hear, you know, the thing that I hear the most in all of this is the way that this shows up in our relationships, right? Oh my, and like, this is one of the things that I just, I love, love so much. is just understanding the nuance and the different dynamics that go into why we do what we do with the people we love. And when I'm working with couples, like in my private coaching practice, one of the first things that we do is we start to create space between their emotional reaction versus their emotional response and start getting them living from this place. that's not on autopilot because that's a lot of what these habits are. It's just our autopilot response to things that we don't even really realize that we're doing because it happens in a split second. And this is exactly what I hear you describing when we're afraid, we're just reacting very quickly out of habit. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'll give you the best relationship example. Cause someone actually asked me about this when I think when I was on book tour, they said, you know, cause I said, you know, we get into habits where it's like a different year, but the same argument with our partner mm-hmm. and somebody goes, well, wait a second, you know, fear, uh, cue routine reward how's there a reward if I'm in the same argument with my partner? Mm -hmm. What do you mean comfort zone with that? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so let's say that you have a cue of fear and your routine, you, you go in, you get a pot shot in Mm -hmm. and you're going, well, what's the reward? Well, the reward could be many different things. Depends on you as a person. Maybe getting pot shots in is your comfort zone because it's what you watched your parents do. Mm -hmm. So as far as you're concerned, that's how fights go. Mm -hmm. Maybe getting a pot shot in is your comfort zone. Because in the dance and dynamic that you have in your marriage, you know that as soon as you get a pot shot in, that's like a signal to your partner that they better pipe down. And they always do. Mm -hmm. So you escalate because then they pipe down. Mm -hmm. Maybe you get a pot shot in because it it cathartes a little bit of anger that you are not releasing in some other healthier way. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a metaphorical emotional balloon of anger that's stored up. And when you get the pot shot in, some of that balloon leaks a little air. Mm -hmm. There are lots of different reasons why people do these things, but 
it, you know, they, it is absolutely something that when we don't realize that we, and, and realization, I was about to say when we don't realize we have a choice and then I almost want to edit that comment. Like it's not just realizing it's all, it's like really realizing that we have a choice. Yeah. And, and that, that piece of interrupting it and going, Ugh. Oh, I've been here before is so much a precursor to going, I have a choice. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's got to be a decision to look at the way the fear patterns are executing and going, once I see this again, I'm going to choose something different. I'm always saying to people in interviews, it's not, you listen to this interview and then you're going to like go out into the world and just like, practice courage by accessing the body and reframing limiting stories. It's actually, you're going to go, I want to practice courage. And then you're going to totally be stuck in people pleasing again. <laughs> but the mm -hmm. thing is, instead of going, ah, oh, I'm such a loser. I'm stuck in people pleasing again. It's got to be, okay, let me access the body. Let me bring in my wild and holy, mm -hmm. you know, cause integrity is not, I make a mistake and I beat myself up to be in integrity with myself. Integrity is I make a mistake and then I choose a behavior that is in integrity. Yes. Yes. I love it. So there's this beautiful component to what you're talking about. There's this awareness that yes, like we are in a pattern that we want to do something different. But the thing that I hear the most is there's this commitment. And the commitment, I think, is the most important piece. So understanding and even clarifying what that commitment looks like, right? Yes. So for each of us, if we're here, say you listen to this interview and you're like, okay, I'm here to live a courageous life. The next question I want you to ask yourself is what does that look like for me right now? Because it's going to look different depending on every single situation that you encounter for the most part, right? There's not going to be a blanket response. It's something that you're going to have to tune into in the moment. But the way that you access that commitment is first make it, but two, take a pause take a pause when you are realize when you are aware that you're back in that pattern again. And I think the third part is access some compassion, right? It's like, it's okay. You're here again. This is what we do. This is what we've done. This is what we know. What do I want to do here instead? What does courage look like right now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is, um, the courage habit I, I actually structured to be very much like, uh, a one-on-one -on -one coaching relationship where mm -hmm. usually most coaches, it, not everybody because people work in different ways, but most coaches at the beginning of working with someone, they'll set some goals with the person. What is it that they desire to get out of the coaching relationship or what's the vision for where they want to shift from to, mm -hmm. and I call it your most courageous self. Mm -hmm. And it does look very different for, for each person. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of it has to do with, you know, even honoring the value of courage. And they're, you know, the way I look at it is that we take ourselves with us wherever we go. But if you start asking yourself, well, what would be different in my life if my most courageous self was running the show? What, you know, what if my most courageous self was calling the shots with work? Or how would my most courageous self be spending money? You know, these are questions that get really vital and really alive. Mm -hmm. And so you got to ask yourself, what is it that I want? And you also got to go, well, what is it that's kept me from getting there? And as soon as somebody starts going, you know, perfectionism or 
you know, people pleasing, self-sabotage, pessimism. It's like, there you go. You've got your, you've got your, your map actually where you want to go, what's been keeping you from getting there. And you mm -hmm. start looking at the things that have kept you from getting there. I love that. I love it. And I think, I mean, it sounds a lot like self-coaching, right? Which is, I think one of the tools that as coaches, we provide our clients is learning how to coach themselves to be who they want to be. And I know that you also are a director of a life coach certification program at team CLCC. So how are you training your coaches to use knowledge about these fear patterns with their clients? Well, you know, we are totally from an experiential approach. So, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who is interested in like, I learn these five coaching techniques and then I get a test on them and then I'm certified, like we're not your people. Mm -hmm. You know, there are great programs that do stuff like that. That's just not ours. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for us, it's like when somebody enters into the program, everything is experiential, which means that the coaches in training are going to go who am I? Where does fear hold me back? Mm -hmm. What does my most courageous self want in my life? What are my fear patterns? And so we actually teach everybody in our program about what the fear patterns look like, how habit formation works, what it looks like to take a fear-based habit and break that fear-based habit to, to bring in other behaviors. Mm -hmm. And um, sprinkle in a, a good healthy mix of a lot of peer sessions, a lot of, you know, vulnerability. I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that it's very true that, that we often would prefer to read a book from Brene Brown on vulnerability than actually <laughs> practice it in our it's lives. It's way easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's like you show up for our program and it's like, we're not putting you on some guru pedestal where you get to look down upon your clients and go, Oh yes, you know, you, you need a little of this and you need, it's like, no, I'm your peer. I, I get afraid too. things come up for me too. And these are the tools that we can use together to co-create something better. And, um, I'm, I'm kind of wildly excited about the CLCC. <laughs> Like I have to kind of stop talking about it because if I go on too long, because I'm like, it's my other baby, you know, I've got my, my real baby and then I've got my other baby. Um, yeah. cause I'm just so enormously proud of the people in the program. I mean, it's so much fun cause we get to know each other and practice mm -hmm. all this relational stuff. Like you guys have, you know, we've been talking about right mm -hmm. now about getting relational with fear. Um, yeah. but it's just so cool to see someone you know, start the program and say, I really wondered whether or not I could make a living as a life coach. And I had never coached a single person when I first started. And then they get to the end of the program and they're like, not only have I coached a hell of a lot of people, mm -hmm. but I've got my first couple of clients and oh, I'm starting to make this work. It's, it's, it's really cool to watch someone go from, I didn't know that I was capable of that to I'm freaking amazing myself right now. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, from my personal perspective, people like who, whoever is a helper or healer, if you are doing your own work, I think that that lends itself to being the most powerful space holder for other people. And I love that you over at, you know, CLCC are really encouraging your coaches to do their own work, to always be in practice of them, to walk their talk, because I think that that provides the most powerful transformation for clients. So thank you for we modeling that space for other people that we aren't able to hold for ourselves. So, so true. 
It's yeah. so true. Kate, thank you so much for being an amazing guest today. I'm going to be pointing everybody to your book, The Courage Habit. And for anyone who's listening, who's interested in becoming a life coach and building a business, helping other people succeed, go and check out teamclcc.com. We will see you again soon. Bye. Bye.